Hey there, welcome to Walking Alongside Perspectives, a combination of short monopods as well as some conversations with cool folks covering various topics based on what is going on in the world, focusing on the broader theme of perspectives. As Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are no facts, only interpretations. So let's get into it with this episode. Thanks for being here. Welcome back to Walking Alongside Stories from Yeg. I'm Carissa McKay. Thanks for joining me to listen to part two of Vanessa Millman's story about her need for a transplant and all the things that led up to the preparations and everything that's going into getting her ready to start a whole new chapter in her life. So we're going to just start right back where we left off and I hope that you are as amazed and inspired as I have been so far. So let's get right back to it. Here is Vanessa with part two. They'll be fine. They'll, yep. they'll make it through the surgery. Right. So they really want to get rid of that part, but they simply can't right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from a, a precautionary standpoint, I mean, it makes total sense. But it's funny, you know, like there's so many things that you think about that we now have become so used to just using. So as much as you're not able to go to your parents for dinner or have them over, or spend time with your nieces. We do still have stuff like Zoom and FaceTime and, and things that allows at least for that little bit of, even though it's via a screen, there's still that ability to um, to reach out. So it's just, it's so funny how we have kind of come full circle in a way that all the crap that we've had to deal with that's led us to these amazing technologies that are, are here to make that a little bit less bad, even though it still mm-hmm. must feel very isolating. Yes. Yeah. It was very hard first two days after finding out that I my donor was approved and then we had a surgery date it seemed to happen very fast for me and the, the one thing I wanted to do was want to run and tell people you want to tell your mom you tell your dad tell my sister prepare my little nieces so that they understand auntie's going to be away for a while right and when you try to do that over a screen yes you they get the information yeah but they don't truly understand it because there's that disconnect yes it's true it's true it's it's just it's not the same yeah it's not the same and I have to admit that I don't really know all that much about transplants because even when I was working as a dietitian in a hospital setting many many moons ago I was never on a transplant unit and honestly pretty much everything else I've learned is from television shows or documentaries or news features so in them talking about the need for drugs to keep you from rejecting the new organ and timing and the shortage of donors and all of those sorts of things, what kinds of additional information would you like people to know about transplants that could maybe help address some of the gaps in knowledge and ultimately help other families who are in desperate need of donors for their loved ones? The biggest thing for me was that people need to understand that a transplant is not a care. A transplant is a treatment. However, with that said, it is one of the best treatments that a patient suffering from something that would need a transplant can receive. In the case of a heart transplant, it's life-saving. There is no dialysis for heart failure. Your heart fails, you die. So that's the big thing is that it's a cure, it's a treatment, and it's an ongoing road after that, that I will then have to change my lifestyle. I'll have to avoid people who are sick. I'll have to be more aware and conscious of what's going on with COVID just because I'm more susceptible to getting it. I'll also then have to go on a regime of anti-rejection medications, which have a whole host of nasty side effects that I may be subjected to. Mm -hmm. So there's that part of it. The other part of it is that 
people don't realize that you don't have to be dead to donate. Oh, you yeah. can donate while you're still living. Blood, plasma, platelets, bone marrow, kidneys, liver, all of those things, skin, all of those things can be donated while you're still alive. Nice. And you can then go on as a donor and live a fully functional life without right. that right. while still saving somebody else. That's sure. a huge part. I don't think and, people think about that at all. No, no. And that's a huge thing is that's why I find it so critical to have those serious conversations with your loved ones about being a donor and not necessarily being a living donor, but even just signing your donor card. There are over 5,000 Canadians waiting for a donor of some organ donation of some sort right now. Wow. 5,000 people. That's crazy. Kidneys alone, which are often the most transplanted organs. There's about a two to seven year wait for an organ right now. Oh my gosh. Two to seven years, somebody's life is drastically altered because they have to do dialysis three or four times a day or three or four times a week while they consistently get sick and their condition worsens. So if we had a bigger pool of donors, we could cut that that time down. We could take that stress off of our healthcare system. We could give these people a better chance at a healthier life. Really important to have that conversation. You said your donor is like essentially a perfect match. Yes. 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 For me, she is as close a match as we could possibly get. But she's your husband's cousin. Yes. So it's not even actually a family member. I mean, by marriage, but like genetics. No. So, I mean, the likelihood, like not the likelihood, but I think that we're also often under the impression that it has to be a family member or, you know, some kind of genetic relationship, but this is as good of a match as you can find and completely not related to you at all, except by marriage. So I think that also opens the door. I think it makes it a little bit less, or maybe it makes it more accessible. Most definitely. A family friend of ours has received a kidney three years ago in transplant and his donor was a living donor. And it was just some random person who felt the need to donate. Um, So they went in, they did a workup, they contacted the transplant unit And it just so happened that he matched with their family friend. Normally, people tend to look at their relations for a living donor. I know for sure that's where I started. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be. It can be a complete stranger. It can be Joe Blow from another province away that has that feeling that need to help. Mm -hmm. And that offers that kidney. Canada, we're very fortunate too in that we have a paired exchange program here. So for example, if I find a kidney donor here... That doesn't match me, but a donor, but a recipient in Toronto has a donor that matches me and my donor matches them. They can do a paired exchange where I will receive their donor's kidney and they'll receive my donor's kidney. It's amazing. As far as I'm aware, the most that they've had involved was three donors, three transplants. And it was in Ottawa, Winnipeg, and in Edmonton. Oh my gosh. The shared exchange. That's incredible. That's incredible. So lots of things that people can do, simple steps that they can take. If you're already donating blood, there is a program that you can sign up for there. I want to say it's bone marrow. Is that the right one? Yes. Yes. When you donate blood, you can donate blood, plasma, white blood blood cells. Mm -hmm. Then you have the option to donate for bone marrow as well. And then if you're interested in live donor donation, you can then ask to go through a matching program, which would then... Basically, you start a workup for a transplant, and they'll see if you match any of the people who are prospectively on the list. Okay. So that they have your information on file. Um, And then even if we do have somebody say that 
has a severe car accident and their spleen ruptures or they need a liver for whatever reason, they can go to that list of people who have said, yes, I'm willing to be a live donor. They've done that matching and they can start at that process already. So they're already a step ahead of everyone else. Right. That's awesome. And (laughs) considering we work in health promotion, even though that's our day jobs, that's, I love that because it's so proactive. It's so expediting things, just making it that much easier in a time of like intense emotion and crisis and, you know, all of those other things that are going on for people. Yeah. So speaking about emotion, given that everything that you've had to deal with, how would you describe your reactions and emotions as we get closer to that big day? And this time we're not talking about your wedding. How are you (laughs) staying in that magical place of optimism and reality while also obviously still having to temper that with what I would say are probably pretty understandable feelings of worry or fear or, you know, angst. When I first found out it was Monday of last week. So I've really only known for about a week and a day or so I was, kind of shell-shocked, to be honest. I knew it was coming, but I didn't know how quick it was going to be coming. And then as soon as it did, it came came fast. All of a sudden, I had appointments every day. I had medical tests I needed to do. I had to get leave sorted from work. I had to make sure my husband had leave sorted from work. It was very overwhelming. And I remember my husband taking me aside on Wednesday and he said, you need to stop and you need to breathe. And I did. And I realized that, okay, I've been working towards this. I'm educated in what's going to happen. I'm confident what's going to happen. Now time for me to go through with it. And that's when excitement crept in. And all of a sudden it was, wow, I'm not going to have to be in bed at a certain time because I have to be hooked up to a machine or wow, I can travel without extra suitcases. It was like this door opened and all of a sudden there was a huge light at the end of it. Am I afraid? Do I have worries? Do I have fears? Yes. I mean, it is a big surgery. Recovery is scary as can all be, but I know that in the end, it will be worth it. It's what I've wanted. It's what anyone in my position wants. And to have the ability to have it so soon is amazing. It truly is amazing. So for the listeners, this is being recorded about a week or so ahead of the scheduled transplant date of February 2nd. So when this goes live, it will be almost two weeks post-surgery. And I could not believe when I heard that we could expect to have you back halftime in any case in like eight weeks. I thought that's, there's no way that I must've heard that wrong. Cause that's incredible. I feel the advancements in surgery have come such a long way that the recovery time to my mind is so short. So what do you and your donor now have to deal with other than the stuff that you've already told us? But like in terms of the next like whirlwind of days. Um, So like I said, we are now both in isolation until the day of. My donor will go in the day of surgery that morning, two hours before. We'll get prepped, make sure that she's all set and ready to go. I will check into the hospital the day before because I need to start my first round of um, anti-rejections and then immune suppressant drugs. Um, And that'll be an IV. You have to have 24 hours of that prior to surgery because they try to overload your system so that your body doesn't automatically reject the organ. We will both undergo surgery. For her, it's about a two to three hour surgery. For myself, it's anywhere from a four to six hour surgery. In that surgery, what they'll do is they will take the kidney from my donor and they will make an incision in my lower right abdomen and they'll place it just above my pelvis near the top. I've actually been told that once I'm healed, I'll be able to feel the kidney through my skin. Okay, that's so cool. Um, 
they'll then connect it to my bladder and then to uh, a main artery in my leg and fill you full as much fluid as they possibly can to kick it in the butt and be like, you need to start working. You need to help this poor girl out. Wow. Um, as long as that's all good, you'll get stitched up and then you move to recovery. They call that D zero for me. And then starting day one, it's get out of bed, get eating, get moving. We got to get you going. We got to get you recovering as fast as possible. Um, recovery for me in hospital is about five to seven days, barring any complications or issues, after which time I'll go home and I will be closely, closely monitored for the next month. So blood work nearly daily, hospital appointments nearly daily. And the reason is that is they need to find the right mix of medications so that you're body doesn't reject, but you're also able to sustain yourself in a way that you're not dealing with the horrible side effects that these drugs can happen. The reason I can be back at work hopefully so quickly is I'm lucky in that it's not a very physical job. So I don't have a lot of demands that way. It's mostly administration and commuter work, which allows me to rest, but it does take about six to eight weeks for your body to fully reach a point of relaxation and rest where you have the energy you had prior to surgery. We won't yeah. make you lift anything heavy. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> so will you need to be on those anti-rejection medications for the rest of your life? Yes. That is the one downside of transplant is that I will be on immunosuppressants, anti-rejection drugs till the day I die or my kidney fails. If I miss even a single dose, it can cause rejection. So they have to be taken every day at the same time. Um, you have to go for blood work quite often to ensure that the levels are still correct. So just because I might find the dosages that work for me now mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that three months down the road, they're going to still work. Right. I might have to increase them. I might have to decrease them. Um, a larger part of my recovery will also be educating myself on how to properly figure out your dosages. Right. And adjust as need be. Right. The nice thing about the transplant program in Alberta is that you have a pharmacist that's assigned to you. Oh, nice. So that any medication questions, even medications that your family doctor may prescribe, you have to run it past them because it may interfere. But you have that support in place because they can be contacted at any time. There's also a 24-hour nurse on call. So any issues, complaints, anything that might happen, you have somebody there in your corner that you can reach out to. Nice. So it's a common theme that I've talked about over the course of seasons one and two, and that's the importance of relationship. And so I think that this relationship that you have with this pharmacist now is going to be so key, so critical to give you again, that sense of as much normalcy as possible. And I say again, like, it's so bizarre that COVID has prepared you for between the hand sanitizer and the social distancing and the, you know, monitoring people's symptoms. And, and we, as your coworkers are going to have to be really cognizant of that too. Right. Like, and I think that we're all a little bit more aware, but we now have an additional reason to do the right thing and stay home and not spread our germs far and wide. So I think that uh, we've, we've been all just working towards this day unwittingly and unknowingly. So let's hope that we can just carry on with that, that momentum. That's very true. Um, And I think that's another part of the reason why I've been so open about my illnesses is that if something were to happen to me, I want people to know if I'm going to be on these drugs. Now I want you as my coworker to know so that if you do have the sniffles or if you do have a cold, I would hope you'd be able to come to me and be like, you know, maybe keep your distance. Just, 
I'm not feeling great today. Keep your distance. And that's yeah. why being so open about my challenges and my illnesses has been so easy for me. Because for me, it's a way to ensure that I'm as safe as I possibly can be. For sure. Self-preservation, but in a really open and caring way. So what are you most looking forward to other than, you know, assuming that everything's going to go well, like, but when, when you're all recovered and you got your dosing right and everything's good, what are your post transplant bucket list items that you cannot wait to get started on? It's funny because they kind of coincide with my post COVID bucket list <laughs> items. Because <laughs> um, my, my, my dream is to be able to go back to Europe and not be afraid that I'm going to catch COVID. And while I could travel with dialysis, it was very cumbersome. So my, my biggest bucket list, and I was just speaking to my husband about this, was we want to go back to Europe and we want to go back and travel, basically, from the tip of Scotland down to the boot of Italy and then over to the east. Oh, wow. Um, we've been very fortunate that we've been able to travel to a lot of these places once and all, but our lifetime goal is to take six months and just go. Oh, nice. Just see everything we can. And I feel that being on a track, having my transplant and not being on dialysis anymore and having more energy, then I'll be able to enjoy it all that much more. My one regret is that the last big trip we took before COVID, I was starting to slow down to the point where I felt like I was a bit of a drag on my husband. And the poor guy, bless his heart, he has dragged my dialysis cycling machine across provinces, across <laughs> this, this province. And I feel horrible because he, I can't lift it. So he's the only one that can take it. So for us to be able to travel without that machine, without the supplies, without having to like let 40,000 other people know, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of ties in with COVID too, because I'm not going anywhere right now with COVID. For sure. For sure. That's awesome. I, I hope that you can one day do that six month trip of a lifetime because it sounds phenomenal. You will have to document it and turn it into something because I think it sounds amazing. Vanessa, I just want to thank you so much for your super candid answers for just giving us even a tiny glimpse into a world that very few of us likely have any real understanding of. I so, so appreciate your sharing your time and your story, but you're not off the hook yet. <laughs> just like you're not off your dialysis machine yet soon. So I hope that you're ready for the favorite five part of the show. Let's go. Okay. They're really hard. I have to warn you in advance. <laughs> oh no. No. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? And if you go out for it, where do you go? I love Spumoni ice cream. And as bad as it sounds, the best Spumoni I've had is at the old spaghetti oh, factory. Spaghetti factory. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's I awesome. love it. There's love no it. bad flavor of ice cream, to be honest. True. But that is one of my favorites. Well, rum and Followed raisin. Followed by Tiger. Oh, Tiger, yes. Well, see, I used to like Tiger, but now, I don't know, it's the licorice. But rum and raisin, I'm going to put rum and raisin as my, like, never eat rum and raisin ice cream. Like, that's just me oh. personally. So all you rum and raisin lovers out there, have at her. It's all yours. I will not compete. Yeah. I love it. I will it. never turn down ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I had totally not even thought about Spumoni. And as soon as you said that, I'm like... Old Spaghetti Factory. I should have added favorite restaurant because that's, that is a childhood classic. Classic, yeah. Yes. And it okay. bugs me because my husband orders vanilla when we're there. I'm like, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? This is where you get spumoni and that is all you're allowed to get. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's too funny. Is vanilla his favorite flavor? He just doesn't like spumoni. Oh, okay. 
Well, that's allowed then. You don't want to eat ice cream you don't like, but it is, yeah. it does sort of seem, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sacrilegious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number two, music that we can most often expect to hear playing in your car or at home. Currently, I've been listening to every band I listened to when I was like 15. So the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and Britney Spears and everything that makes me feel young, I've been listening to and kind of reminiscing about how simple it was back then. Totally. Um, so anything from like the mid 90s, early 2000s, yep. I'm all for it right now. Awesome. All for it. The okay. cheesier, the better. <laughs> Well, and it's definitely cheesy. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. What is your, so number three, what is your favorite thing to do in your spare time alone or with your family? I love travel? to read. Okay. Oh, yes. Traveling is number one. Always has been. <laughs> um, I love to read and to, in school, to be honest. Um, I'm a lifelong learner. I don't think I'll ever stop learning. Mm-hmm. So normally you'll find me in a book. And my sister laughs because they're like, they're the driest, the dullest books. I'm a history nerd. So I will sit there and I will read like a history of the dung beetle because I think <laughs> it's great. And my sister will be like, you're a loser. <laughs> um, but to me, it just, it's really shaped my worldview. And the more information and the more knowledge I have, the better suited I am to face the day I feel. Oh, that's awesome. Well, and I mean, in history is something that we're supposed to learn from, right? Yeah. Maybe not so much the dung beetle, but other aspects <laughs> of history. We certainly, could, no, although be we surprised, can, yes, <laughs> no, I know there was a really cool documentary that I saw about, it was actually about termites and elephants, but this dung beetle had picked up his ball of dung, which he actually stole from another beetle and he's rolling it. And of course they're going backwards. So they can't see where they're going. And he inadvertently went down this termite thing and it was like, you know, in the Goonies where they're going down the slide or whatever, or Indiana yeah. Jones, but he made it out. He made it out to the other side and it carried on rolling his dung ball wherever he went. So yeah, there's, I mean, we can learn from them perseverance, if nothing else. Exactly. It's, it's neat because um, prior to COVID hitting, I was on a kick of plagues okay. and I think I read like <laughs> book after book after book of different plagues, like the Black Death and the Spanish pandemic and cholera. And then it just seemed like I moved on to something else and all of a sudden, bam, COVID hit hit. And I was like, I feel partly responsible. <laughs> yeah. You totally jinxed us, Vanessa. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Okay. Number four, the thing that you miss the most that the pandemic has taken away and that may or may not come back once this is finally behind us. Honestly, for me, it's the confidence in being able to go out and not being afraid. Mm. I literally, when the pandemic hit, I spent six months in my house and I never left. I was afraid to go out into the backyard because I thought for sure I was going to get it and I was going to die. I mean, I honestly don't foresee that coming back. Mm. Um, I think that that confidence is, and if it does, it'll take a very long time, but that confidence is gone. I was at the grocery store two weeks ago and it was a little bit busier than normal because I had gone at a different time and I panicked and I couldn't, I had to get back into my car. I had to go home and I had to go back the next day bright and early when it opened because I just, I'm not confident that I'm safe. Yeah. I think there's probably a lot of people who feel that and are, are in your shoes with that. It's, it's going to take some time. It's going to be a huge adjustment for a lot of people. That's a good one. And lastly, number five, something that you are trying to do differently as we try to save our planet as we know it. For me, I've really shifted the way I eat. 
Um, mm. I've started to rely a lot more on local, local produce. We have some amazing farms in and around this area. Yes. Um, amazing butchers, eating more locally, eating less meat mm-hmm. and more plant-based has been a huge shift for us. And those benefits are not just for earth. And I find that they benefit me. Mm-hmm. I feel so much better now than I ever have. So yes, it's a small little thing and it's a selfish thing that I'm kind of doing to make myself feel better, but it has greater impacts. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the proverbial ripple in the pond, right? You're doing something, yeah. but it's it's benefiting the local growers. It doesn't have to be transported as far. So we're decreasing greenhouse gases, right? Like it's all those pieces. So it's not selfish at all. It's awesome. And I was amazed to find some of the produce that we produce here in our yeah. backyard. Yeah. Um, it's not only is it for the variety so wide, but it's amazing quality, mm-hmm. fantastic quality. And mm-hmm. these farmers, a lot of them now are turning into farms where they'll do grub boxes or they'll do veg boxes. And that's how they sustain themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on local markets. And yeah. the produce you get in those boxes is phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, and Safeway in the new ones that have been like recently renovated have those hydroponic windows where you can get the lettuces and herbs and and things. So like you can actually see it growing, which I think is so cool. Yes. Excellent. So awesome. Thank you for that so much. And again, so much for being here today. This has been enlightening, uplifting, inspiring, educational, and I have to say kind of mind blowing. So thank you. This was awesome. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. I love letting people know if people have questions about transplant and kidney failure, ask. You'll never know unless you ask. And the more people know about it, the more comfortable they are about it. And hopefully you can reach a point where people don't have to wait six, seven years to receive a transplant. Oh, exactly. Amen to that. Thank you so much. And way to throw in one last bit of education, right? Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I hope that this has given you one more thing to be thankful for, to recognize that we can never take for granted every breath that we take, every decision that we make that relies on the magical workings of our fragile yet oh-so-resistant human bodies. We have seen what they can do in our Olympic athletes, but we can also see how amazing they are when we put them to the test in less glorious ways. Whether it's pumping blood or cleaning it, we need to take care of our whole selves so that we don't have to experience the tremendous challenges that come when things start to go wrong eating well, being active, developing a gratitude practice, not sweating the small stuff, all important, but none of it, sadly, a guarantee. The takeaway, I think, is that we need to live every day to the fullest, live every day with the knowledge that however long we are here on this planet, it is a finite time. And so to get to the end of the road and look back with no regret, that is a gift and something that we should all aspire to. And one of the ways you can do that is to educate yourself on anything that you can do that you are comfortable with to increase the chances that someone else will be able to make it to the end of their road with no regrets either. Like Simon Sinek says, it's not only about taking care of yourself, but also about taking care of each other. I think at the end of the day, that is what walking alongside means to me. In the meantime, stay healthy and we'll see you for the next episode of Walking Alongside Stories from Yeg. Ciao for now. I'm excited to report that in case you were wondering, the outcome is better than anybody could have expected. The surgery was a success. Everything went super well. Vanessa was up and around and moving and eating and it was as good of an outcome as anybody could have hoped. So just for anybody who was wondering how it all turned out, it was definitely a happy ending.
Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for a topic or even better, a perspective to share, I would love to hear them and share them, ideally in a conversation with you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and throw a comment my way or share with friends. For better or for worse, we're all in this together. We have exactly one world to share, so let's make it the best one it can be. Until next time, take good care. Ciao for now.